thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guy Show. This is Lawrence Tam. Unfortunately, the boys are actually not here. I have no idea where they are, but uh, we actually have a very, very special guest. And uh, sorry about my voice. I've been uh, suffering the flu for the last week and a bit, traveling back from America. Uh, it's been an interesting ride. But I have a very, very special guest today, and I'm I'm so excited. And we only got a very short period of time, so I'm going to go right to it. Um, Kelly Brogan is a Manhattan-based holistic woman health psychiatrist, uh, psychiatrist, author of the book A Mind of Your Own, co-editor of The Land Mark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She's completed her psycho, uh, psychiatric training and fellowship at the NYU Medical Center after graduating from Cornell University Medical College and also has a Bachelor of Science from MIT. So definitely the uh, the, the smartest person in this conversation. So welcome <laughs> to the Wellness Guys show, uh, Kelly. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. I know it's nighttime for you. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's been fascinating to be able to, to interview people like yourself because um, let's get right to it. I know you're, you have a, uh, a big, you know, your book that, you, that came out of the mind of your own. You talk a lot about women's depression. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Why is women's depression such a big thing right now? Uh, let's, talk, let's start there. So yeah, we, we really are in the midst of a, a silent epidemic. And you know, here in America, we have 11% of Americans taking an antidepressant. I actually think that might be a gross underestimate. And we have one in four women of reproductive age who are taking an antidepressant, uh, thinking about entering pregnancy or you know, completing one. Uh, this is happening for a number of reasons, and there is no simple answer. One of the reasons is that we are actually becoming sicker in more and more complex and difficult to diagnose ways. And psychiatry has really become the wastebasket for all of the limitations of conventional medicine, right? So when you go to meet with your family practice doctor for a minute visit and you describe that you're feeling flat you know, that you're, you've gained weight, that you can't concentrate, that for whatever reason, you know, you're, you're tearing up throughout the day, you're not sleeping well, you're tired. Um, oh, and by the way, you have digestive problems and you, you know, you haven't eaten in two weeks. Um, all of these, you know, the, the, the syndromal picture is really often too complex for a family practice doctor to investigate, right? So they, they will just see Occam's razor, right? Like the most direct route to helping a patient as being giving, giving them an antidepressant or a referral to a psychiatrist. Um, so, so in many ways, we're using psychiatric medications to patch over uh, the limitations of modern medicine to meet modern problems. Uh, but there is also... Uh, a significant issue of misdiagnosis and overtreatment, uh, and and that is largely stemming from the fact uh, that women, in particular, are are being prescribed these medications for what I like to call physiologic imbalances uh, that are totally reversible. You know, things from um, thyroid dysfunction to medication side effects to different kinds of food intolerances. And, you know, in psychiatry, there's no uh, objective testing, right? So when you are prescribed a psychiatric medication, it's not because somebody did a blood test or did a brain scan or did an EEG or anything like that. Mm. Uh, it's really just based on a subjective conversation. So you 
could see how it could be a very slippery slope that we could end up using these medications, sometimes with good intentions, without uh, fuller awareness of, of their limitations and really some of their untold dangers. Well, and the danger is that you, know, you talk a lot about that. I think you mentioned this, that it was one in four uh, women are on medication for depression, and that's a lot. Um, and, and, and the problem is that, you know, we're not looking at so much as that, you know, this, that you know, first of all, there's a lot of people on, you know, qualified depression, but it's also the dangers of the medication that you're describing. Um, could you talk a little bit about maybe the, some of the side effects that people don't even, don't even think about when it comes to medication um, when you're trying to treat for depression? Yeah, so so I very much believed, you know, that perfect health was just one prescription away. And I, you know, in my training, never really had a full appreciation, is a euphemistic way to put it, of the potential side effects of these medications, right? So, you know, we're largely encouraged to think of them as very safe. Um, and sometimes common becomes synonymous with safe, right? So when medications become so ubiquitous, we almost have this impression that they must be safe, right? But the truth is that uh, the pharmaceutical industry really goes out of its way uh, to suppress early signals of harm. And in the case of antidepressants, um, the most shocking discovery in my research since I largely was inspired to stop prescribing was really around the very unpredictable nature of some of the, the most dramatic side effects of any medication category, period, uh, which is something called akathisia, right? I'm sure most people have not heard of it, but it's um, not uncommon, actually, not as uncommon as you would think. And it actually leads in a largely unpredictable way, but in a way we think has to do with um, different genetic variants in the way you metabolize medication, so in liver enzymes. Um, it can lead people to actually develop uh, homicidal and suicidal impulsivity when they begin taking medication or when they've had a change in dose or when they're coming off it. So these are totally normal civilians who go on to murder their spouses, murder their children, or you know shoot up schools um, because of medication side effects. So the media in this country is not making these connections really readily apparent to us, but there's actually a wealth of literature that indicts these medications in this very specific and really horrific effect. So I would say, you know, in my opinion, that is the number one reason that these medications should no longer be prescribed, period, until we learn more or mm -hmm. until we have a way to risk stratify who would be vulnerable to this side effect. And then, you know, let's say you're on a medication, you say, well, that didn't happen to me, I'm just fine. Um, one of the, the, the most significant uh, underplayed risks of these medications is their habit formation. So, right, like I was taught as a trainee in my residency to tell patients that these are absolutely not addictive drugs. That almost like that's like a silly idea that anyone would suggest that these are addictive drugs. Mm. And my experience, you know, over the past almost decade trying to take patients off of these medications I have come to believe that without exaggeration, they are the most habit-forming chemicals on the planet. I mean, I don't see anyone coming off of heroin, alcohol, barbiturates, or Oxycontin at, you know, 1% to 2% of their dosage every single month. 
I've never heard of such a thing. I mean, I have patients I have to take off over years just so that they can maintain basic medical stability. I never knew this. I never told a patient this when I was prescribing. So, you know, it's really... um, that's really it's scary. Not, like, I, yeah. that's, that scares me, like, you know, in terms of, um, you know, the amount of the effect and people don't obviously realize because we got to put some trust. I'm going to ask you a side question if that's okay with you, but regards this and, you know, and um, I guess one of the things is the difficulty for you, you must have had to go through a point because you were prescribing these medicine because you felt uh, in your training that that was the best thing for your patients. Um, was it difficult for you personally to... Um, you know, after all the research to to kind of go against what you've been trained to do in a sense. Uh, was that a hard transition or is an easy transition? Um, could you talk us through that period of time? Because I imagine that must be hard for a lot of doctors out there um, to, you know, weighing that because, you, the, 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 you know, because you know this new evidence is coming through and it, it's like you whether to choose to whether to act upon that or not. Exactly. I love that question. It's a great question. So I was in a unique position, right? Because I was not raised a hippie or a new ager. I was very conventionally minded. Um, and I really believed in, in pharmacology. It was absolutely something I considered myself, you know, a budding expert in. Um, and it was a confluence of factors, right? So I developed my own first <laughs> health condition, Um, After my first pregnancy, I was diagnosed with a thyroid condition called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And basically, you know, I had this voice come up inside me that said, well, this sucks. Like, I don't want to take a prescription medication for the rest of my life. There's got to be a way out. So I actually had the surprising intuition um, to consult a naturopath. And that was how I began to learn when I put a chronic, otherwise chronic autoimmune disease into remission uh, using lifestyle changes and primarily dietary modification, I had a lot of red flags raised, right? Like I never learned in my, you know, Ivy League training that nutrition had anything to do with, you know, chronic disease or let alone could it possibly play an instrumental role in its reversal, let alone that reversal was even possible. So I was already in sort of like an induced skepticism, right? And then I had a friend um, give me a book, and she gave me this book called Anatomy of an Epidemic. And it uh, is by Robert Whitaker, who's an investigative journalist, and essentially he takes a deep dive into a lot of studies I never heard about during my training. And he asked the question, you know, if these medications are so effective, and all of them, right, from antidepressants to antipsychotics to mood stabilizers to benzodiazepines, if these meds are so effective, then why is it that with increasing prescription, we also have increasing rates of disability worldwide? Like, shouldn't those be inversely correlated? And he makes a compelling argument, um, you know, that, that medications are actually perpetuating the very syndromes that we are seeking to put in remission with these treatments. And I cried when I finished that book, literally. I remember crying on the subway because I, I saw the house of cards crumble before me, like $200,000 of debt, blood, sweat, and tears, and an <laughs> autoimmune disease later. I was like, well, that's great. You know, now I got to go to the drawing board, and I look, I've invested my entire life in this model. Mm. So believe me, it was, it was not um, pretty, you know, the transition, but I was ready for it. And I also had this, you know, I was uh, specialized in prescribing medication to pregnant women. I was specialized through my fellowship uh, in reproductive psychiatry. And I remember uh, when I was pregnant, writing a prescription for Zoloft for a patient who was also pregnant, I remember having this feeling 
that I would never want to take a medication like this during pregnancy. Hmm. I don't care what science you show me or tried to persuade me with, uh, with regard to its safety. And I thought, well, that's weird. <laughs> so it's almost embarrassing to feel that way considering I write prescriptions every single day. Hmm. So I already had this intuitive sense that there had to be more to the story. And of course, then I took a very deep dive into just how misunderstood um, you know, human physiology is through the modern lens of pharmaceutical medicine. And now it just doesn't make sense to me anymore to even think about using medication. So, you know, now it's all come together, but it wasn't a pretty journey. I'll tell you that. <laughs> hey, Kelly, it's Brett Hill here. How are you? They are doing well. We found them. So, we found them. Sorry for being a bit late today. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be like Lawrence. So I've started going to a CrossFit gym and, uh, and a combination of my trainer's poor ability to keep time and my poor ability to keep up with the time in my exercising <laughs> meant that I was running a bit late this morning. So no I got a, Lawrence got a very uh, breathy phone call with me about 10 minutes ago before you started. So. I hope you were exercising, not doing something else. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> I was sucking in the big ones. I was struggling. Anyway, thanks for coming on board, Kelly. My apologies for being late. Uh, but you know what? I've been listening in and, and what you're talking about is just fantastic. And I think what you just said is probably a lot of people's experience that they kind of just have this gut feeling sometimes that what they've been recommended or what they've been prescribed just doesn't feel right to them. And I guess the challenge then for people is to is how do you know when is the right time to just trust your gut and to go with it? Or you know when is there the time when you have to say, do you know what, this has gotten bad enough, it's a big enough, bad enough crisis that I have to put a little bit of faith in the experts and just mm. to get me through this crisis, maybe I do need to take some sort of medication how do you how do you draw that line? You know, is there a time and a place when you should take it, Kelly, or is there just never a time and a place? And and if there is, how do you how do you figure it out for yourself? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's such a good question. So we're in a really really interesting time right now where there is such a saturation and overabundance of information. Right? You know, you can you have a million opinions at your fingertips. And we are beginning to educate ourselves in ways that really undermine some pretty old and long-standing institutions, right? So the model of medicine, conventional medicine in America is predicated on the mastery of the physician, right? And the, and the, the, the challenge now is that I can read science, you know, on the internet, pubmed.gov, that my doctor won't have you know, ever heard of and probably wouldn't ever have, have any exposure to for about 17 years because that's the documented lag time between modern science and actual clinical practice. So we're in, we're in an awkward window where um, your ability to ferret out your own truth is just about the only way you are going to stay on your own path to health and wellness. So I actually... Um, rarely suggest that anyone defer to any expert, including me, uh, because really the only role for science and the only role for um, expertise is in reminding you of something you already know, right? Like that's pretty much all I do every day with patients is I remind them of what they already know about how to work through their struggle, how to really dance with it in, in some ways, and how to move through it with a different kind of curiosity and mindset. Now, that being said, I, you know, I am not here to tell anyone what to do, obviously, and that includes not telling people not to use medication if it feels right to them, right? So there are basically two mindsets. There's a mindset that says, you know, the body is born broken, 
Uh, it's full of very unpredictable malfunctioning mechanisms that need to be managed. And thank God we have the refined expertise and technology to keep this machine under control, right? That's one model. If that speaks to you, um, there is a whole billion dollar industry ready to serve you, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's another model that's that basically, you know, calls bullshit on that. And, and this other model says, you know what? We've gone about as far as we can go with this notion that we are here to commandeer our bodies, to manage nature into submission, and to, you know, largely neglect any responsibility to the environment, the ecosystem, or our relationship to it, right? Mm-hmm. In this model, the body doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> the body is trying to tell you something about how you are interacting with your environment in a way that does not uphold your health and wellness. And if you just learn how to listen to it and speak to it in these, in these top-down um, languages, you know, things like diet and meditation and movement, um, detoxification, then it will sort it out. It will sort itself out in ways you could never orchestrate or engineer. Right. And so then you actually reclaim your agency because it was all in you to begin with. And you develop a trust in the process that allows you to shed a ton of fear. Right. Because we don't make good decisions from reflexive reactivity. And the whole medical system that exists in this country is predicated on reflexive fear-based reactivity, right? Every single pharmaceutical ad, you know, and, and America is one of two countries, New Zealand being the other, that allows direct-to-consumer advertising. So we are inundated with fear-inducing messages about how if we don't act now and take a med, you know, we could be in big trouble and we could really regret it. This is no way to live. And I think people are beginning to feel the bankruptcy of this model, that it's not, it's over-promising, and, and it's under-delivering, and in many cases, it's injuring people, and sometimes permanently. So, you know, you really have to feel into what your truth is. In my opinion, um, apart from acute sedation in an emergency, a true emergency, there is no role for psychiatric medication, period. Wow. I think it is based on a pile of, you know, pseudoscience, um, and the dangers are completely undersold and totally unpredictable. So as I was mentioning, you know, when you have um, the types of risks that are, you know, truly life or death risks um, that are completely unpredictable, it is irresponsible to even consider the treatment until we have more information about how to risk stratify around that risk. And, and that's really what we're looking at. So it's, it's a nice idea you know, that there would be a pill that is safe, effective, and a quick fix. I love that idea. That sounds wonderful, but it's a myth. And so the sooner we actually look at the truth, the, the sooner, you know, we'll be able to develop actually a meaningful approach, which frankly I already think exists because it's what I use in my practice every day, um, you know, that we can tailor to each individual person so that we can acknowledge that what we're treating here is not actually discrete diseases. You know, we're treating collections of symptoms that are attempting to show us, um, you know, that, that an individual is, is struggling you know, with a mismatch. It's a mismatch either in their physiology or their physiology in their environment, or it's a psychospiritual mismatch. And we have to ask the question why before we just put a band aid over it. 
I'm loving this conversation. I'm just loving the where you're taking this to as well. And I think it's an important conversation for, for people. And I mean, podcast shows like what we're doing here is about empowering people to make up their own decisions. And this is exactly what you're talking about. I love the, I mean, even just in your title of your book, A Mind of Your Own, it's about, it's really just saying it's, it's about you got to take control um, of your own positions and also your own statements, relying on people to dictate where your health should be or could be. Um, it's a very dangerous territory. Um, yes. And so um, I know we only got three more minutes with you and, and I'd love to have more time, but I know we, we, we promise you're going to stop in three minutes. But if you can, in the next three minutes, tell us maybe some of the key components um, of of what people need to kind of consider. I know you have a whole weekly plan um, regards, but maybe highlight some of the key components that we need to look at when it comes to depression and what are some of the things that we can do on our own power um, to be able to change that. So, so you can do a lot, you know, that's the whole thing. And that's why I wrote this book. I have a course coming out in June, which is essentially like an extension of the book called vital mind reset to put this completely into your hands. Um, you know, even without, you know, any physician's involvement at all or provider of any kind. So I, I firmly believe that that's possible. You just have to have the mindset and the will. And the truth is that if you are struggling, you have that will. You know, people ask me all the time, well, how do your patients, if they're really sick, you know, how do they possibly do this? And guess what? You know, I have suicidal patients in my office every week and they do it. They do it because the the promise of reclaiming agency around such a condition of disempowerment is so alluring that they they conform you know they conform to expectations that i have for them to take this prescription seriously and the number one prescription that i offer patients is dietary you know i am a firm believer that there absolutely is not one diet for everyone i you know trained under um my now late mentor dr nicholas gonzalez who was a pioneer in in individualized diets um, but there is a template that is a very good starting place. And then you have to start to listen to your own inner voice about what your preferences are. So the template is a red meat um, containing diet, which some people feel is very controversial. Um, I go into the reasons for that, you know, in the book. But it's, uh, it's an animal food containing diet. It's high in natural fat. And the idea is that we're increasing and amplifying nutrient density, we're limiting inflammatory foods, and we're balancing blood sugar through a high natural fat diet. And in that alone, in one fell swoop, we begin to address some of the reversible causes of depression, like autoimmune thyroid conditions, like blood sugar imbalance, like uh, gluten and dairy intolerance, for example. Um, so that's the number one, like, no cheating, no excuses, Give yourself 30 days for one month of your life and then see what your symptoms actually are. Because you may be surprised that if you get to the end of the month, um, you aren't actually struggling with the brain fog and fatigue and racing heart and anxiety that you thought you, you know, was just your human condition. Uh, so that's really the primary pillar. And then I ask patients to do, you know, three minutes of meditation a day. I'm a big big fan of kundalini yoga. So the types of meditation that I recommend are called medical meditations. Um, 
uh, or Kriyas from that lineage, and they're very well suited for people who struggle to just sort of monitor their breathing and you know right. look at their thoughts. And you know, for for some of us, that's really challenging. It always was for me. So I I really embrace Kundalini um, in this way. And so I ask people to do three minutes a day, mostly just to insert that pause in your day and start to train yourself around this type of relationship to your own. Um, stress response conditioning, right? So, and then I ask them to do um, just 20 minutes of uh, high intensity, uh, low volume exercise per week, um, literally just to begin to introduce that concept if it's not already there. Uh, and then the detox process begins. So if you're on medications, I ask patients to do coffee enemas. Um, if you are not, um, or if you know you want to start elsewhere, you can start with you know personal product and and home um, detoxification. Looking at how to sort of slowly think differently for, through the lens of the consumer, you know, about the types of purchases you're making, and then to look at you know what about the water you're drinking, the air you're breathing, you know, what can we do to really minimize your exposure to things that can manipulate your endocrine system, that can stimulate your immune system, and that can generally result in the types of symptoms that now have been validated in the literature for 20 years as a, as a relationship between the gut immune system and the brain um, that can be driven by these environmental exposures. It sounds really hard to believe, but it's very true. And mm -hmm. so with these simple steps, you know, you can begin to really uh, reverse the process in an amazingly short period of time. This is just brilliant stuff. And, uh, you know, Dr. Kelly, I really want to respect your time. And I know we have to stop. I know you got your kids to look after. So I just want to say thank you very much for your time. I want I really encourage people to go check out Dr. Kelly's um, website. And we're going to actually we're going to Brendan, I will just quickly debrief this interview. Uh, I'm going to let you go. Uh, and I'll, I'll debrief and tell everybody where to find you, uh, where to find your information and uh, get on your list because it's been a fascinating conversation so thank you so much for your time i so appreciate i so appreciate the conversation and, and the questions and um i will just mention that if it's of interest the first chapter is on my site for free you know you sort of get a flavor for it um but i you know i'm, I'm honored that you know you're open to the conversation because many people are you know struggling to to have this um you know much needed information exchange so i really appreciate it and um I'll be heading over next week to uh, to Australia myself. So we're definitely looking forward to seeing you at the Mind Forum uh, on May. I think it's twenty to twenty second. So we look forward to it. I'm sure the audience here is going to absolutely love you. So thank you so much. See you so soon. Thank right. you. Bye -bye. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks. Well, Brett, um, we're still recording. I just, I just was blown away by that conversation um, uh. where it was taking us and um, we got about five minutes right now so let's talk man and, and I know well, you jumped on right from the beginning anyways and listening so what did, <laughs> what did you feel? Well it's, it's just exciting I think it's exciting to think that I guess uh, perhaps the more mainstream medical community I guess all of the different medical fields are kind of almost starting to come to the same conclusion which is what we've been saying since day one of the wellness guys that, that a lot of it comes down to lifestyle first yep. and it comes down to honoring and respecting the intelligence that is our bodies, you know, these bodies that have evolved over millions of years to be able to deal with an incredible amount of stuff, to be incredibly resilient and strong and capable and adaptable. And so we're starting to realize now that perhaps if we can empower our bodies, if we can give our bodies what it needs and look after ourselves in the right way, then 
all of these different fields are seeing benefits from doing that, whether that's heart disease, whether that's diabetes, whether that's mental health. You know, I just think it's really exciting that we're starting to see a bit of a groundswell from all different directions, that they're all sort of kind of coming together and sharing a message that we just resonate with so much. And, and a lot of that really resonated with me, Lawrence, because as you know, I've, I've just come into the end of a book that you recommended to me, which is all about resilience. Mm. And it's all about taking charge of your own mental health, for want of a better word, and, and realizing that, that you are in charge of it and that you can be proactive about it and that you can do stuff and take action to to exercise that for want of a better word and uh, and so a lot of that was really resonating with me you know having been through you know quite a stressful period over the last couple of years and and realizing that there's so much more I could be doing to help myself in that respect as well um, it just really resonated with me Lawrence well you know like one of the things I also resonated with me in the conversation was just that you know it's so empowering that's why I asked that question about like how hard was it for her as a mm. medical doctor coming yeah. out of MIT Cornell University like BY like it's these are not like some you know unknown universities right yeah yeah, you know, yeah. like she, she's she's an Ivy League university educated trained like you know very highly intelligent and yeah. then she's got to have she's done some research and all of a sudden boom like yeah. her whole what she's studied up to that point is she, you know, in her mind was wrong. And then yeah. she has to fight that internal struggle, right, to be able to battle for herself and to fight for the patient's right. And so, which is really interesting because as a, you know, she's one human being and, you know, and she could have made another choice. She could have just continued onwards because that's what she's told and, and followed the good rules. Um, but she didn't. And she made a stance and took a stance and now she's changing lives based on that. And I think it's encouraging for practitioners, you know, who listen to this podcast, um, mm. you know, I don't care what kind of practitioners to say, you know what, sometimes the right thing to do is the right thing to do. You know, yeah. we don't, rather than being so, we, we're, we're being pressured from all fronts regards mm -hmm. to so many different people uh, from so many different media fronts. But at the end of the day, the truth speaks for itself. The truth is, is the people, the patients uh, know what's right for them. And sure, yeah. there's, a, there's a model out there that, you know, is trying to control how mm. you think and how you feel. But at the end of the day, like the, the people are the the people who are going to be uh, are going to make their own decisions. And with the amount of information that's out there, like she said, is that I can guarantee you the patients know more about their problem than the doctor uh, in <laughs> the room. I can guarantee you because they have done more research because they're the special they're the specialist of their own issue <laughs> of their yeah. own grab. Well, right? and the, the amazing thing at the moment is that as a practitioner, you know, if you listen to the patient. If you listen to what they want and what they're asking you for and you give advice based around that, you can get in trouble. You know, whereas if you just follow the crowd and do what the bureaucrats tell you you should be doing or do what the regulatory body tells you you should be doing or do what you know, the status quo is, regardless of the results you're getting for the patient, that's going to be okay. You're not going to get in trouble for doing that. But by going out on a limb like Kelly is, which you know, it's, it's incredible to talk about, you know, doing what's best for the patient in front of you is going out on a limb, but it, but it kind of is at the moment, hmm. then, then you can get in trouble. And, and, you know, we're certainly experiencing that. Personally, I'm experiencing that at the moment um, where I'm being, you know, challenged by regulatory bodies for speaking out and saying things. And, uh, but it has to be done. 
it has to be done. And the thing is that we we got to be able to we're patient focused, right? The patient is the is 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 the who we're actually caring about. We're not trying to we're not, we're not serving the government. We're serving you know the regulation. We're serving people. And this is what it comes down to. And I'm sorry, this is just like you know off a bit of tangent, but I think it's important because we can utilize this 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 conversation. What, what you know, Dr. Kelly has talked about, which is fascinating conversation around depression and 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 women's health. And it's the same thing. It's just that that you know that could translate to other aspects uh, of other sicknesses that we've been talking about. But Wellness Guys podcast has been built upon this uh, the fundamental belief is that not one person's opinion um, it matters more than anybody else. It's about mm. a collection of different opinions, and it's about you as the listeners. Is that your responsibility uh, to be empowered enough to be able to listen to the, this information and then make up your own mind? We can't yes. tell you. We can't tell you what to do. We we will make some recommendations possibly, but at the end of the day is that you have to be in control of your own body. And we're trying to empower people to do that by giving you the information, not to confuse you, but to be able to to feel like what resonates with you. Sometimes, like she said, like sometimes if you feel like taking a drug is what's necessary for you, then you need to you go for that, right? And she's making that suggestions too. Even as a doctor prescribing that medication, she has to listen to the patient and make the call based on the patient's, not let the patient dictate care. That's not what she's saying. But mm. she's saying is that listening to the whole aspect of the, what the what the patient actually wants, what's the outcome they're trying to achieve, and then find ways as a as a practitioner to be able to provide that as best as possible. If she's the right person, if she's not, then she needs to refer out well, to someone else. You know what we're hearing about all the time at the moment, Lawrence, is evidence based care, and everything has to be evidence based, evidence based, and they're slamming alternative health for not being evidence based enough. Even though when you actually look at the statistics, the percentages of many alternative health. Uh, are very similar to medical in terms of how much of it is actually evidence-based. But putting that aside, when you, when you look at the definition of evidence-based, it is considering the best available evidence, which is important, and I'm not saying that it's not, but it's also taking into account practitioner experience, which is really important when you're talking about someone like Kelly, who has an immense experience and has been able to develop a model over a period of time to show how she can help people. And the third limb of evidence-based medicine, which so often get, gets overlooked, is actually patient preference. Mm. That's the third limb of this evidence-based medicine we're hearing about all the time, but we're only in the media, in the, you know, we're only hearing about that first one, that evidence, you know, the, the, the best available evidence. We're not hearing about practitioner experience and patient preference. And so we're throwing out um, years, decades, generations sometimes of knowledge because we're saying, well, no, we're just going to go with whatever the latest research says, you know, which one week says eggs are good, the next week says eggs are bad, then it says they're good again, then it says they're bad again. And we're just going to jump around following that because we're not actually even listening to ourselves when we talk about evidence-based medicine. Well, the thing is, evidence. I mentioned this on a discussion with me and Damien, I don't think you were on it, but I talked about evidence-based, it's always to me, it's kind of funny because it's just me. it really should be selective evidence-based because really you're selecting whatever evidence you believe is going to support your case. You're, <laughs> yeah. never going to, you're not going to pick an evidence that's going to well, support- who's read all of it yeah right? exactly there's no it's almost impossible yes there's certain evidence but there's also what evidence are you are you actually selecting are you selecting evidence from quantum f- physics even, even though that's not within the realm of you know yeah. particular science medicine but there's evidence there are we listening to that like how where do we draw the line and of how many different streams of, of science that are out there and where do we pick those evidence to support our case and you're going to pick this the evidence that's going to support your particular cases every single time so anyways i know we're, we're kind of going on tangent but i hope that you guys enjoyed this particular podcast uh, Brett, let's talk about how do, how would people find out more information? Uh, where can they listen to uh, Dr. Kelly? I know she's coming to Australia, so let's uh, let's promote that. Yeah, yeah. So they can get along to the Mind Forum, um, which is fantastic. It is the twentieth to the twenty second of May. Um, it is in Sydney. I 
don't have the exact address in front of me, but they can go to uh, Mind, which is M-I-N-D-D.org, and they can find out all the information. There's going to be some great speakers there. I know a few friends of mine who are going to be there sharing some information as well. So the Mind Forum is fantastic. I was really honored to, uh, to host a paleo stream at the Mind Forum a couple of years ago, and it was just brilliant. The, the caliber of professionals they get along there to share just the kind of information we've just heard about is just sensational. So I'd really encourage people to get along. If you're in Sydney, even if you're not in Sydney, get along to the Mind Forum um, because it's phenomenal. Yeah, we've Actually, had some... I'm just looking. It says the Australian Turf Club, Sydney. There well, you go. It's been a, I mean, we've had some amazing guests um, because of the Mind Forum. So we, you yeah. know, we definitely highly support them. Um, and for if you're a practitioner, definitely go. If you're you know, a layperson, definitely go. Like it's one of those things that you, you know, if you're interested in this stuff, you might as well learn from the expert. Um, and Dr. Kelly was just fascinating interview. Um, if you want to check out her site and, if those people were not in Sydney um, or even not in Australia, you want to check out her site. Her site is kellybroganmd.com. That's kellybroganmd.com. There is a, a site where you can read the first chapter of a book, A Mind of Your Own. Um, it's a great book, and I think I re- highly recommend it. And you know what? I'm going to, obviously, if you're driving the car, don't don't stop or anything. We'll put this in the show notes uh, and make sure you get direct link directly to her website. Brett, it's been a fascinating conversation with you, and I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you guys uh, like this on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash the wellness guys in the wellness couch. Uh, share this particular podcast with everybody you know. I think it's uh, this is a very important information that uh, I think other people should know more about. And more importantly, make sure you go to thewellnesssummit.com uh, because we are coming to Melbourne uh, in September. We're pretty excited about that. So we got some fascinating guests uh, coming on. You got to check it out. You don't want to miss this two-day fascinating, amazing event. Uh, make sure you check us out there. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star rating, uh, whatever rating you feel, and leave a comment on iTunes. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example let's change the world's health together join us next week on the wellness guy show this has been a production of the check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.